Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised. I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next 20 minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Have you ever stopped to think how truly blessed you are? Not just because of things that have happened in your life, but because of the mere fact that Jesus called you to believe in Him. The Apostle Paul thought about this a lot, and he wrote down some of these thoughts in his letters to the early churches. In one particular letter, he explains how the blessings of belief in Jesus transcend space and time, and reveals a deep mystery about God's plan for mankind. I'm Andy Balog. And I'm Jordan Pine. Let's listen now to the Word of God. A reading from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, and things on the earth. That was Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. It's important to take out of the Bible what God has put into it, rather than reading into the Bible what we wanted to say. That's why we created the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym that reminds us to consider the speaker, SP, audience, A, and context, C, before attempting an E explanation. The speaker today is the Apostle Paul a highly educated Jewish leader and former persecutor of the early Christians, whom Jesus personally chose to replace Judas as the twelfth apostle and to become our Lord's main emissary to the Gentile world. The audience is the members of the church at Ephesus. The key thing to know about this church is it was a kind of flagship church, the home base of Christianity in the region. More to the point, the Ephesians were more spiritually mature than some other churches, because the Apostle Paul had personally pastored them for about three years' time. The context is a time when the church at Ephesus and the surrounding churches, now these letters were circulated to many churches, keep in mind, they were at risk of being corrupted by the world, 
specifically the practices of the Gentiles. The early churches faced two main threats. The first one was the threat of physical violence and possible death because of their beliefs. The second threat was more subtle and, believe it or not, more dangerous. Physical death could be horrible, of course, but God had promised a special reward, a laurel or crown, for anyone who died for Christ. But there was also the possibility of the opposite, losing reward and losing the kingdom altogether. Or even worse, apostasy. Turning back to pagan practices and pagan gods and suffering God's judgment for that loss of faith. For this reason, the book of Ephesians takes several approaches to helping the early churches understand just what they had in Christ Jesus. It was not something to be taken lightly. And now we're ready to get into an explanation. We touched on some of this material in a 2019 lesson titled, God's Timing for Salvation, which you can find in the archives on our website. In this lesson, we want to go a little bit deeper on that topic by further examining this section of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And now we're ready to get into an explanation of our scripture reading. Let's break it down. Our guest reader today is Matthew. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Andy, what does it mean that God has blessed us, quote, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ? Well, Jordan, your question is asking how we can describe spiritual blessings in heavenly places in verse 3's context. Paul will detail them for us in the verses to follow in today's study for sure. Albeit, the best way I can answer this question for now is to have us look at the adjective describing these spiritual blessings. And the word I'm talking about is the word every. In the Greek, it is best translated as the whole thing and always. So we can say it reads that Jesus blessed us with all of his grace for eternity. Also in this verse, the Apostle Paul writes that God chose us before the foundation of the world, a metaphor meaning before the creation of the earth. And this leads us to a theological debate that we have talked about before, Calvinism versus Arminianism. What's this all about, Jordan? Well, I like the way that James Rochefort puts it on a website for the book Evidence Unseen. He writes, at the heart of the Calvinist-Armenian debate is the question of how it is that humans come into a relationship with Christ. Is it through our free will or God's selection? Arminians claim that we decide to come to Christ through our free will, while Calvinists will often ask, do you really think that God was the one who was lost and you found him? You know, our founder, the late pastor Gary Whipple, used to tell a story that illustrates the tension between these two views. Imagine you're walking down the street and you notice a narrow alley leading to a small door with a sign that says, enter here, all are welcome. Somehow you know that there are great things behind that door, so you choose to go down the alley and enter the door. Once inside, you look back and see another sign on the back of the door, and that sign says, chosen before the foundations of the world. Pastor Whipple used to tell this story to emphasize the paradox of free will versus predestination. 
it's a paradox because we know we are not mere robots programmed to do what God tells us to do. We clearly have the capacity to choose the wrong path and deny God's will, something we've done throughout history since the garden. Yet we also know that, quote, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, that's Romans 8, 28, and that God is in control. Attempting to reconcile this, C.S. Lewis wrote in one of his letters, quote, your will is perfectly free, but all physical events are adapted to fit in as God sees best with the free actions he knows we are going to do. Yet when it comes to our salvation, the Bible goes one step further than this and clearly says that God has chosen us. We did not choose him. So we are faced with the paradox that we have the ability to choose freely, and yet we are also chosen. Jordan, the paradox is simple to explain. According to scripture, God is omniscient, which means all-knowing, and he predestined exactly who will be his child and who will not. On the other hand, people are not God. We are still in this world and we do not know everything. You know, as humans, we walk through life making a choice for each step. And that's all we can see from our perspective. From God's perspective, all goes according to his plan. Therefore, it absolutely does not matter what anyone says to contradict or debate this. We unequivocally cannot deny the veracity of what scripture teaches. Yes, that's true. And one further note before we leave this topic, because of the Calvinist-Armenian debate, in the 16th century, a Jesuit priest named Luis de Molina came up with a compromise of sorts, a third view, if you will. This view is known, you know, based on his name, as Molinism, and it is advocated by several prominent theologians today. Molinism is a little bit too complicated to explain in this lesson in the short time that we have, but if you are interested in learning more about it, we recommend searching gotquestions.org for their article on the topic. Molinism is spelled M-O-L-I-N-I-S-M. Thanks for that, Jordan. Now let's return to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, with which he favored us in the beloved. Okay, so we've talked about adoption before, but let's briefly talk about it here. What did adoption mean to the Gentile believers, and what did it mean to the Jewish believers? Well, historically, Jews had a difficult time accepting God's choice to include Gentiles in his plan of salvation. Let me use a biblical example from Paul to explain Gentile adoption. If we look at Romans chapter 11, verses 11 to 32, we see here that Paul speaks to how God engrafted the Gentiles into his family tree. Now, grafting is a horticultural procedure involving the cutting off of a main branch from a fruit tree leaving an exposed wedge in the tree trunk. Then a farmer will cut a large branch from an entirely different fruit tree, place it into the open wedge from the first tree, and then binds it all together and allows it to heal. He gives it time and allows it to heal. Eventually, this fruit tree with the grafted branch produces its own fruit. I mean, could you imagine an orange tree getting a branch wedge cut out and then grafting in a lemon branch? Do you know that 
that tree will actually grow both oranges and lemons. I mean, it's amazing. So Paul used grafting to explain to Israel how God can make the Gentiles part of their spiritual family and also at the same time produce spiritual fruit. So Jordan, can you tell us how in Jewish culture, adoption was necessary to gain the ability to inherit? Yes, well, it sounds strange to us today, but in the Jewish culture, the ancient Jewish culture, you weren't automatically set up to inherit, even if you were biologically of that family. You actually had to be adopted at a certain age, not in the sense of of not being biological and, and being adopted into the family, but being able to inherit. You know, you would you would essentially mature into that role. And then you would, um, at the age of maturity, become able to inherit. So that's the sense of the Jewish word adoption. And when we hear it uh, in the Bible, we have to be aware of sort of that cultural nuance. Like you're saying to the Gentiles, it would mean more of the engrafting. But in the Jewish culture, it actually had a slightly different meaning, meaning maturing to the uh, point of being able to inherit. Right. So to kind of maybe better explain it to our listeners Today, the the Jewish culture has bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. And if you know a little bit about the Jewish culture, they don't actually consider their children as part of the inheritance until they turn about 12 or 13 years old. And that's when they have these special parties. And that's when their children, by birth, don't actually become officially part of their family until they go through the whole ceremony of the bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah. So it's interesting that over these thousands of years that the Jewish people still, they support that, it's part of their culture and they support those traditions. Ephesians chapter one, verses seven and eight. In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. You know, Andy, we might take it lightly today, but how big of a deal was the certainty of redemption and the forgiveness of wrongdoings to this particular audience? Well, Jordan, the certainty of redemption is the biggest deal in Christianity, and that goes for the entire church dispensation from the time of the death, burial, and resurrection, even till today. You know, we often take for granted the freedom that we have in our secured salvation. According to the Old Testament and the law, the Jews were commanded to constantly offer blood sacrifices of approved animals just to cover up or what they called atone for their sins. And now we know, according to the details of Hebrews chapter 10, Jesus died once and paid for all sin for all eternity. That was the perfect payment. Remember, he satisfied the law in full according to scripture. And this is best said in Romans chapter 6, verse 23 by Paul, which reads, For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so let's move now to verses 9 and 10. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he set forth in him, regarding his plan of the fullness of the times, to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Let's focus here for a moment particularly on these two phrases. Those are the mystery of his will, 
and his plan of the fullness of the times. Jordan, please tell us, what is this mystery and what is this plan? You know, in the intro to today's lesson, I spoke about how the blessings of belief in Jesus transcend space and time. That was the phrase that I used. And I used it intentionally because we don't often think about this, but God is outside of time. Before the universe existed, time did not exist. Or put another way, God created time when he created the universe. Now try to imagine how an eternal or timeless mind views human events. In this sense, he's not waiting for something to happen in the sequential way that we wait for things to happen. He exists at all points in time, so he has already experienced the beginning, the end, and everything in between. And that's one reason I think the Apostle Paul calls his will a mystery. You know, this word in the original language of the Bible means a hidden or secret thing not obvious to the understanding. That is, something too complex for our human minds to comprehend easily. And this plan of God's, which was crafted based on his ability to see all points in time, his omniscience, if you will, is certainly hard for us to wrap our minds around. Yeah, you know, my favorite thing about verses 8 and 9 is a personal one. Because when reading them, I feel God is telling us that he's truly showing us his hand. And imagine a poker hand, if you will, right? He's showing us his hand to to his children, to those who believe in his son. And it just makes me feel like we as Christians are 100% part of his royal family. And, you know, just as a joke, but truth, by the way, he's trying to tell us not to fear because he's holding a royal straight flush. (laughs) You know, there's also an aspect of uh, submission to God's will in these verses, Andy. It's a mystery to us why God would allow, for example, Lucifer and the angels to rebel against him. It's a mystery to us why he would allow the serpent to deceive Eve and Adam and bring sin and death into the world. And it's a mystery to us why he is waiting so long, from our perspective, to put an end to sin and death and Lucifer. You know, Maranatha, we cry out, Lord, come soon. And along with that often comes the implied question, Lord, why are you waiting so long? But again, God does not perceive time as we perceive time. As the Apostle Peter explains in 2 Peter 3, a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. So he is not being slow in keeping his promises, at least not as we perceive slowness. We also have to understand that God's timing is perfect, and we have a whole lesson on this. You know, he brought Jesus into the world at just the right time, and he has planned his son's return for just the right time as well. And, you know, Peter invites us to think about this as patience and mercy. That is, God is allowing plenty of time for us to make mistakes, repent of those mistakes, and grow in spiritual maturity. He doesn't want any of his beloved children to miss out and lose their inheritance. You know, he loves us and wants us to have plenty of time to mature into heirs worthy of ruling and reigning with his son, Christ Jesus. Okay, Andy, I'd like to continue reading a few more verses beyond our scripture reading today, because these are important verses for all believers to hear. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in the Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Okay, so a question here. What sort of humility should we have when reading these words? 
After all, the Apostle Paul is saying the only reason we have the right to receive an inheritance is because we were chosen in advance to be in Christ. The answer here, Jordan, is complete humility and complete thankfulness. Paul best speaks of the overarching importance of the knowledge of our adoption and eternal secure salvation in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10. And they read as follows. Because of the extraordinary greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties, in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Jordan, I believe every Christian should consider these truths to overshadow all of our concerns during the often difficult life we live on earth. Amen. Another thing that struck me, Paul, speaking to the early Christians, says, we were the first to hope in the Christ. And you know, reading this passage today, we have to pause and contemplate the possibility that we may be among the last to hope in the Christ. You know, Paul wrote around the time of our Lord's first coming, but we are reading his words closer to the time of his second coming. It could be very soon. And I think this gives these verses a certain sense of urgency. You know, now is not the time to lose hope and squander this precious inheritance that we've obtained. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who was a first installment of our inheritance, in regard to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So the phrase that jumps out here, Andy, is sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean to believers? Well, Paul also mentions this in Ephesians 4.30, and that reads, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So my, my answer here is we need to talk about who the Holy Spirit is. First of all, we need to always remember that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. It's part of the Godhead. It's equal to God the Father and God the Son, yet it has a different task, a different job to do, a different responsibility in the Trinity. We know that God the Father is oversees everything and, and remains holy. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is the bridge, and he's the one that connects us to God the Father. And praise God, once we receive Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation, we know that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, into our hearts. And that's what sealed by the Holy Spirit means. It also speaks to the fact that we cannot lose our salvation, that our everlasting security will, will never leave. It's not something that we can give away. It's not something that sin can cause us to be you know, taken out of the family of God. So it's a blessing to know, and it's, it's having a supernatural peace that words can't explain. And we thank God that he's revealed this to us in Scripture that we are sealed, that we are locked in, in his family, by the Holy Spirit. 
That's 20 minutes, and that is our lesson. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple. Our music was recorded by the Abundant Life Worship Center. Our sound editor is J.P. Eli. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.